What's going on, folks? Three times dope podcast coming at you live. Actually, two times. Dope. <laughs> Three times dope minus one. <laughs> two times dope. And so, so you know, just just to give you guys like some insider baseball in terms of like how some things happen or or like how conversations um, can arise uh, when you're when you're podcasting or when you're creating. Uh, space in order for folks to kind of decompress and we were just talking about like how how we're struggling like how we're mentally struggling with, with some of the things that are happening in our country um these constant shootings or whatever this reckless uh abandonment abandonment of life when it comes down to just like black and brown folks or whatever and so you know it, it, it's, a, it's a constant struggle I think that you know it, when we talk about these situations why not you, of course the good doctor frames it uh in a in a manner in which that it doesn't get us in trouble per se um but i think that we need to i, I think him not being here is our push to still talk about these things um but i guess in the, in, in the best way possible and says you up next doc um yeah you you your turn to frame it so like what what's your thoughts yeah so like you know for me there's this way that i think this podcast and others have a responsibility to talk about and name things that that are uncomfortable, right? Like a lot of times when we're discussing what we're going to talk about or what we're going to say, like we have to like hear our own selves say it <laughs> to then like know where we stand on it, right? And so I think it's good to model that because it reminds us and others that like one, we don't have all the right answers. That two, we are all growing better when we can talk to other people about things that matter to us. We can yeah. gain perspective. We can gain empathy. And I think we need to just model that for other people because a part of this polarization that we feel in this country around race and gender and wealth is because too many people aren't listening to what the other side has to say. And we have to, there's a, there's a level of self-discipline that you have to like have to like listen to something. Now I'm not suggesting that people put themselves in situations that will be violent and, and hurtful or cause them harm or trauma. But like no. we, the thing that makes us dope is that we don't always agree on things the same way, right? We don't sit in the same seats when it comes to stuff. And so I think while our differences make us stronger, the things that unite us are also important. And I think the thing that gets us so upset is like when we see harm done and like the lack of humanity, right? Like if you can't see a person as just a warm beating breast <laughs> that deserves fill in the blank, right? That deserves a good education, that deserves a caring teacher, that deserves to, to drive and rest and shop and worship in peace, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's what's harmful. And you know, when we were talking earlier, like it's happy, like it makes you not want to do nothing. But that's Yo, not facts. Good, right. Facts. I was I was just I, honestly, I was just trying to sleep it off, right? I'm like, yo, man, like life is too heavy. Uh and then with the work that we do, like we we work with kids, 
right? And like putting them in the forefront of our thoughts in terms of like, you know, how we're trying to make safe spaces for them, how we're trying to, you know, make education better for them. Um, I think it's, it's it's a heavy it's a heavy lift uh, when you have to do that work, and then you got to deal with like societal ills of like just people just not giving a shit about black people, right? And um, man, it's taxing, right? It is very yeah. taxing. And, uh, and, and, you know, we come on every week to try to, you know, have dialogue so that, you know, it, it, if it touches one person, right, it, it's kind of like when you're, when you were in the classroom, it's like, shit, if I could just get to one person, if I could just change one life, right, then that, that makes it easier for me to come on and like, and talk, whatever, right. Yeah. Um, but it's tough, right. So let's, let's, let's not get this twisted. So folks in the audience, man, if you're here, uh, we send a good vibes to you. Uh, if you, if you're uh you know let's 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 do a, a wellness check for the for the folks in the audience if you uh tell us how you're feeling five you're feeling amazing one you need a little help so we can send some vibes your way um and let's 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 kick it all right so yeah. um man so let's let's start here right <laughs> how <laughs> or slash when <laughs> do we do we, do you know when it's time to change jobs? So we've both been in education, you know, all, all, all our lives to some degree, right? Um, how do you know when it's time to how do you know when it's time to be out? You know, I think it's different, right? I think so for me, I knew that um unfortunately I could see the writing on the wall, right? There's mm. some people who can like see the writing, like you know, it feels like a lot of change and a lot of, you know inconsistencies and the things they used to like ask for they don't ask for anymore and I'm noticing a trend of this kind of leader or this kind of school or this kind of candidate that's getting a lot of um, shine and like that kind of isn't me and so like I can tell where this is going so I'm going to to take ownership so for me there was so much that was not in my control um, as a new principal, as a principal of a school that had a significant amount of change. And so I knew that there were lots of things in our story that other people wrote for us based on our data, based on where we were, based on what they thought about us and not knowing anything about the kind of place we were, the kind of teaching that was happening, um, only looking at what we could do from a very narrow perspective. And so I knew that it was time for me to leave because I wanted to control that part of my narrative. I didn't want that to be taken away from me, too, right? Um, I think one of my professors at Trinity, when I was getting my master's in teaching, her name was Roberta Dorr, and she said, the day you walk into a classroom and you don't want to be there is the day that you should leave. And yeah. she said, not oh, like I'm it's sorry. hard. She said, not like it's a hard day, or I'm hungry, or I don't feel good, or this lesson didn't go well, or this grade isn't here. But like when you look around and you're like, you know what, I don't want to be here, then then you should leave. And my hope is that folks will have honest conversations with themselves, with their friends, with their tribe, with their administrators and their coaches, um, so that they can come up with a plan that allows that transition to happen well. Because like, on one hand, we want the best, most amazing people in front of kids, right? For some mm -hmm. people, you know, we got to build them and grow them that way. On the other hand, it's dangerous for us to just put warm bodies in front of kids just to say we got somebody. Yo, that's there, the right? worst. That's that's the worst decision that you could ever make is to make the decision to put a warm body in front of somebody, right? Like you got to make sure that folks are like mentally capable and able to handle this work because teaching, man, let me tell you something. This is like 
one of the hardest jobs that you could ever have in life, especially if you're doing it right. If you're doing it to a high level, then like, you're going to come home, you're going to come home worn out. You're going to come home and you're going to have a whole lot of, of other people's problems on your mind. You're going to have to find ways to process and deal with it, right? It's, it's, a, it's really a tough assignment. It's like, it's like being a really good cop or being a really good doctor or being just anything that you, in any kind of profession that you're being really good at, right? You're going to take that work home and you're going to have to find ways to kind of de-stress and, 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 and do all those things, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to take that work home too, but you also like the, the best of us are the ones yeah. who continue to learn and get better, right? So of it's course. Not, it's not so what you're doing is what you're doing is so, so so a typical summer, right? Typical summer when you were teaching prior to you leave, right? Because mm-hmm. I think I think during the summers when you win championships, right? Especially if you're a teacher, if you're coming back and you're trying to win the championship, you're trying to increase test scores, you're trying to get better as an educator, right? All that stuff happens during the summer. And so when you hear folks that are like, "Yeah, summers are mine. Yeah, I'm taking the summer off," or you have you have folks that don't know anything about teaching and they're like, yeah, but you guys get the summer off. Right. That's really not the case. Yeah. No. Right. It's, and so it's what, what how, how are you, how are you planning for the summer? So, you know, when I, I think about the summer, I would often always just know, hopefully I knew who my teammates were going to be. If we were mm-hmm. departmentalized, if we were going to like all the teachers are taking on a thing, we would develop time where we would all get together to just spend time with one another, build camaraderie together, plan together, look at units. We would try to look at the scope and sequence and figure out what field trips we were going to do, what buses we mm-hmm. needed to get. We always mm-hmm. read something, um, figured out what kind of book we wanted to read or what kind of system we were going to put in place. I think the strongest mm-hmm. team that I was in as a teacher were the ones that we had like consistent systems. So we were all using journals that were red. Yes. And my journals yeah. are red and yours are blue. And we would mm-hmm. also doing home visits, getting to know my yeah. family and the community. Yo, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Difference. Let me tell you something, right? So um, <clears throat> there was one summer I was working. Uh, I won't name the school because I don't want them to get any uh, street cred. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, so I was the academy director for this charter school in Harlem. And, uh, and and ended up doing, came in on the, on the tail end of it, but ended up having to do 100 home visits, like, throughout New York City, right? And so as I'm going to these places, like, in the Bronx and, like, in Harlem or whatever, like, I don't know about New York City, right? All I know is that, you know, I, I'm, I'm good with any hood I'm in, right? And so I'm going to these neighborhoods or whatever, and, and I'm not going with, like, a white, I'm not going with a white glove because you got to be intentional in terms of, like, how you set things how you set things up for parents, right? Especially in New York City. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm going in not to judge them, but just to make sure that, you know, kids have a, a safe space to learn or whatever. And that, you know, just building rapport, building relationships with, uh, w- w- with students and families. And so one of the things that, you know, one of the things that a home visit does is that it gives the perspective for that student, right? Like it, it puts things in perspective. So like when you come on the first day, you know, you come into this whole new world, you know, you're not, you're no longer in the fourth grade, you're no longer around the folks that you were around before, but there's that one face that you see that was at your house, right? So that you know that, hey, listen, you know, I I, I, I know him, right? He was, at, he was at my crib, right? So like just creating that warm environment for, for, for kids to flourish, I think is extremely important. So thanks for naming that. Yeah. We also would, I mean, when we did that too, it wasn't even just like classroom teachers. Like we had special teachers do home visits. We had custodians. What? Oh yeah. My custodian went on a, um, a home visit because we would have people go with partners. We what? never, asked them, mm-hmm, we 
trained everybody because he's a Yo, part but, of the but, but 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 you but you know what though? Like I think I think that that goes. Uh, I I don't think we talk about that enough as well in terms of like the impact that the custodial staff has. Oh, for sure. On a school. Yeah, you know, one of my friends, she's working on her doctorate, and one of her colleagues is looking around like integrity and like honorable decision making of administrators. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she asked me is, was there, had there ever been a time when I had to make like an unethical, like decision or like I made a decision that was harmful? Um, mm. And so I was thinking, I was like, well, you know, I, I can't think that of one that I did. And I also remember telling her that, you know, I never felt like I had a lot of power as a principal. Um, I don't know if it was because of the kind of school I had, because I was black, because I it was my first time doing it you know, whatever the reason is. It felt like if a parent complained enough, someone would mm -hmm. undercut what I said. Or if the district decided to change the funding, then I wouldn't have it. And so for me, I knew that I didn't have a lot of power. And so it was easy for me to give that power away. <laughs> so I would share the power with the custodian. My foreman was on the leadership team. It was easy for me to share the power with the kids and say, you don't like what's going on in the cafeteria, you do it. Because I knew I didn't have, like, what good did it do me to hold on to this crumb when I could mm -hmm. distribute this little bit? And what happened is me not wanting to feel like I had to hold all the power and willingly sharing it with other people gave me more influence, which ultimately <clears throat> gave me more power. So it gave me more eyes of what was happening. It gave me more ears. It helped me develop collective responsibility instead of it being like every decision has to come through me. Every approval yeah. has to come through me. It wasn't physically yeah. possible to even do that. Yeah. No. So, I mean, I, I think it's important that you name that. Right. Because uh, I, I'm, I'm all about capacity building. Right. Like, I don't need everything to come through me. I just need for it to be done. Right. Right. That's and so, right. like, even if it doesn't come through, even if it doesn't come through me, like, let's just I, I so right now I'm training leaders and I'm training leaders uh, from 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 the perspective of I want you to make mistakes, because if you make mistakes, then that's the only way that we're going to be able to build your capacity. Right. And so I'm hopeful that you make mistakes and that you're willing and open to have conversations about how this was a mistake and then how we could tackle it to make it not be a mistake the next time, right? Yeah. Because it's all about capacity building. And so for me, it's more so about trust, right? So like if you're open about the things that you struggle with, right, which most leaders are not, let's let's right. let's, let's call it out, right? Sure. Most people aren't really, they don't, they don't really, they, they feel uncomfortable about talking about their struggles. And so those are the kind of folks that I have problems with like coaching because it's like, clearly we can see that you're struggling with this. And yeah. like by me continuously calling it out for you without you being able to see it or it being a blind spot for you is at some point going to be frustrating for you. And it's definitely going to be frustrating for me because it's like the better you could be is the better it's going to be for the kids. Because sure. I don't think we talk about how, how much impact a good school leader has on a school and how much impact a bad school leader has on the school. For sure. So when you think, I want to ask this. So you talk about the leaders that you're training. Like, what do you see as the biggest, like, deficit that many of them are coming in? Good people. They got the admin's license. They're in yeah. it. They're trying to do it. But, like, overall, like, there's a gap in them around what areas? Yeah. Um. So new leaders, well, I mean, you know, my dissertation is all on, on, on Black on black yeah, students. I like how you I like how you made that little plug in there. Yeah. Like and so so I I I I think the struggle with black male school leaders 
from the ones that I know and the, the ones that are in my inner circle are like we're coming to this work thinking that we got to know it all and we got to do it all right and I think that we there's like an unwillingness to ask for help there's like an unwillingness to be vulnerable in terms of like I right, well I don't know this right and having been that person myself and, and this is not just exclusive to to black male school leaders I'm pretty sure that this is any school leader black white Latino Asian whatever um there's this there's this inability to 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 know what you don't to not be as vocal about the things that you don't know right because you know a lot of folks you know that that are in positions to help you um you know there's that whole trust that whole building you know building community with them and you know and, and a lot of people just don't want to be vulnerable right it's like i don't want to come to you and tell you that i don't know something or whatever like i don't know how that's gonna make you feel about me i don't know that's how, how that's gonna make you feel about my leadership but for me if you're able to come to me and you're like, hey, I, I really don't know this. This is like a this is a blind spot for me. This is an area of growth that you know I'm in a better position to help you than I would be if I got to go in and spend time to kind of dig out and 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 tell you something that you already know, right? Yeah. I think that a lot a lot of times when we have these conversations about what what growth uh, points are for folks, they already know what the growth points are. And so when you and when you when you say it to them, it's like, oh, you know, I never really thought about it like that. Well, what the hell was you thinking? <laughs> yeah yeah i mean yeah. i think you know knowing your your growth points like your opportunities and then i think also there's you know the reality right is like there's the, a big gap is that we got a lot of administrators who have not spent enough time teaching they haven't hey, spent enough listen. time no, listen. No listen. And i'm not listen. i'm not you know i Check the receipts, right? I taught pre-K, first grade, yeah. fourth grade, fifth grade. It was a yeah. sixth grade ELA teacher, right? Like, hey, I, hey, real, real, real quick, real quick. I got somebody in the audience, man. I want to shout this dude out, right? So he he calls himself Jiggy Reekin for you, right? And so this is one of my this is one of my parents, actually one of my favorite parents, right? And I'm gonna tell you why, <laughs> because like he does things from the bottom of his heart, right? And so I had put something on social media or on the Riverhead Charter School or social media. And I was like, man, it would be amazing if we had a buddy bench, right? And so a this dude caught a, a buddy bench. So a buddy bench is basically like, if you don't have a friend, uh, if you're feeling a type of way, it's like a it's like a SEL check-in, like a social okay. social emotional learning check-in on the playground, right? And so, you know, if you need a friend one day or something like that, you sit on the bench and then others see you on the bench and they come and they build community with you, right? So this dude, he he goes on eBay, right? He finds a bench, right? He purchases the bench, have has them deliver the bench to him, right? And so now he's in the process of like scripting and and and, and repainting and doing all these things himself as a way to contribute to the school community, right? Those are the kind of parents that I need, like I need a multitude of those types of parents, right? So I wanted yeah. to shout him out because that is my dude. And uh, and 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 I appreciate him. Also, yeah. he taught me how to do a, he taught me how to do an oil change too. Well, here's the thing, right? So I love that for him. I love that for you. I love that for the kid who gets to sit on that bench and the kid who gets to go over and make a connection with another kid, right? And here's the thing: we could have that kind of parent in all kinds of schools all over the place, right? Maybe if we welcome them. If we welcome them. If yes. we value them, if we yes. ask for what we need. 
so yeah. often we you get in these spaces with parents who are like, what tell me what you need. And the yeah. principal's like, well, I, well, I, well, I. So then you you miss the opportunity, right? You need to be yeah. specific. <laughs> oh, we need a bench because here's what it could do and here's how it can impact our community, right? Here's yeah. what we need. And you got to, like, give yourself credit for creating a space where that kind of conversation even happens. We got too yeah. many principals who don't know content and who spend too much time in their own offices. So even if they had this idea for a buddy bench, it becomes the <laughs> bottom of the list. You yeah. engage with this person. You at the stop stuff sign. You in front of the school. You know his family. You know his kids. Yeah. You talk yeah. about the bench. He's gonna follow through. He knows yeah. that his his emails is not gonna sit in the unread box, right? And so yeah. back to oh, hey, my, wait, wait, hold up, wait. If it, if if it do, he gonna call. Right. <laughs> After this podcast, he gonna, he gonna he call. He gonna, call. <laughs> he gonna get a text message. He gonna direct message. He gonna put it. He gonna put it. But but see but, but but here's the thing but that's that's the and I'm sure that that's what the, I'm sure that's what kind of school leader you were right it's like no time yeah like people and people don't people don't really understand the fact that you don't really get no days off but like this ain't really work if it's something that you're passionate about right if it's something that you're passionate about it's like yo this is second nature for you. In terms of like, yo, just like, yo, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to get it. I'm trying to make sure that my kids have exactly what they need in order for them to be great. One right. thing that happened um this summer that's different from any other summer in terms of like standardized tests, right? Because like a lot, of this is like, I live, we live in the, on Long Island. On Long Island is like the epicenter of um anti-standardized testing, right? And so I get it. And so. One of the main complaints from uh, from teachers, from educators, and then also from parents as well, is that the data doesn't come in fast enough, right? And so, like, you're, if you're getting the results back from the data in September, then it kind of it's a missed opportunity in order for you to use that data in order to, you know, um, in, in order to do well by students. And so this year, one of the things that New York State did, they were extremely intentional about getting that data to us early. Right. And so the release uh, of the data is going to be late July um, in which uh, kids know how, how they did on, on the spring assessment. Right. Which is phenomenal for New York State. It's the first time anything like this has ever happened. Right. And so, you know, the data right now is embargoed. But if you are a school leader or a systems leader in New York State, you have enough data right now in order to in order to build your tier three interventions, right? In order to know exactly who needs what help based off of what standards have not been mastered. And so yeah. while I won't go into the intricacies of the data because it's embargoed, if you are a school leader in New York and you are not taking this opportunity in order to use this data for good, in order to change the lives for students, you need to not be in education. For sure, and let me add, and if you think that the only way you can identify and provide supports for young people who may need interventions is by waiting for that data to come out in July, then you also don't need your job because standardized data is one kind of data, but you should know who wasn't where they needed to be because you should have been making decisions about what that child was doing this summer. You should know what 
student has already mastered that thing so that you can be thinking about how you can creatively provide some kind of enrichment support, some kind of extension camp, some kind of preschool for the next grade. You should know exactly where kids are so you can determine which ones need to come to Summer Bridge or Ninth Grade Academy, right? And so standardized data is one little one piece, an important piece. Because it's yeah. how we measure our students in the district and yeah. the in the world. But it's not the only piece. And too often. No, absolutely. That yeah, last yeah, benchmark. No. I know that you last benchmark testing. I know you yeah, did. But you had yeah, made that, a, I think there was somebody we both follow on Twitter who said, made a comment about like getting rid of standardized tests. And I think when we talk uh-huh. about. No, no. It was somebody we both follow and you made a comment. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. But and replace it with what? Like you can't, man, listen. And, repl- and replace it with what? We can't. No, no, was about replace it with anything. I think what I'm pushing us to do is that yeah. I want us and our listeners to make sure when we talk about understanding students, understanding their mastery and looking at assessment data and looking at standardized data that yeah. people aren't just sitting back waiting for, you know, the big test to come up. Because yeah. hey, this is a, we should know what's happening with kids all the time. Hey. This is hey, this is a this is a really good point right here. Is that what's missing is uh is taking black kids to the metaverse. I don't know if you uh I I don't know if you if you I got an Oculus right. It's a uh, it's so the Oculus is a uh, is is was one of the three uh, D uh no actually it's not three D. This shit is crazy. Uh, you just put you put it on and it takes you into like another universe in terms mm-hmm. of like. And 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 I know how it could be used for like thinking, and I know kids are like kids who are tech savvy and like that are really into it, uh, could really vibe with it, right? And so I, I noticed something that we're trying to do for our high schoolers. Virtual reality is what it is, right? And so it's something that we're trying to do for our high schools. But like, yo, if we could do that for like for our younger students, man. I, I think it would be amazing. But it's all about just setting your school up for success and like and digging into like funding opportunities or whatever. Because like a lot of schools that are um that are historically disenfranchised in, in, in historically disenfranchised communities can't really afford to that kind of technology whereas if you are in the suburbs and you're able to raise money based off of raising your tax cap or like you know sure for sure but pro- I mean, yeah even if you can't raise the money, right? I mean, there were lots of things that we wanted to do. And the excess thought was always, well, you know, they're low performing. They should really focus on the reading. And so instead yeah. of giving them a yeah. robotics program, or instead of giving yeah. them a version of iReady that is for inter- intervention, we'll just yeah. give them 15 extra licenses for kids who are below, right? Like, we got to shift the thinking because all that does is widen what we know is the opportunity gap, right? The achievement gap, the accessibility yeah. gap, the resource gap. And then we come out with a bunch of young people who could be, all these young people are content creators, okay? And you, yeah. and yes. I know that they are yes. because yes. this one Usher meme like this has been on my timeline <laughs> for four days and every single time it's yeah. different, right? Yeah. Every single one of them is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> every single yes. one of them is perfect. And so yeah. we know what happens. We know we can create content. Yeah. We know oh. we are in <laughs> Watch and this. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Got a name too, though, Ray. Like, yeah. even when people give us money and resources, we still have too many educators who have very fixed mindsets around how we can use stuff. And the same way we got administrators who don't want to be embarrassed because they don't want to tell you they don't know how to do stuff, we still need to develop the capacity 
in technology and in yeah. the sciences of the educators. People yeah. should not still be using Zoom the way they were before. People should yeah. not be using their smart boards as a bulletin board to stick to Is paper. It, yeah, so I, we, I was thinking about that today, right? Because we, we had a meeting today to discuss like new technology uh, for a high school student. I'm like, they don't even use smart boards. Like the, the way that like the way that you use a Promethean board uh years ago is not the same way that you're gonna engage students now, right? But like nobody on the call was speaking up, like, hey, we don't even use smart boards, <laughs> like we don't even use that, right? Until I had to speak up like Yo. no idea, we'll be like, We're gonna put all this money into to boards, like and forget yeah. the license that you need. Buy all Man, the boards. Get you better pen. get a you better get an Apple TV and an Elmo and project. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, it's, there's there's <clears throat> there's easier ways to use the tech in order to you know in in order to meet kids where they are. But well, I, I think a lot of educators who are willing to do that too. We got to provide education. But that happens during H. That happens during the summer, right? Yeah, that but... happens during the summer. I, I, that I agree. That's summer. what we need. Yeah. That's what we need. We yeah. need Microsoft Apple Camps for every teacher to go yeah. and get PLUs to learn yeah. how to come up with stuff, to develop new code and things. We need innovation around that because what's going to happen yeah. is, you know, we're not going to be able to keep the attention of young people with the with our boring same stories, and then we're going to blame them. Oh, well, they don't. They're not engaged. He's not interested. He's not a part yeah. of it. That rapid rate way in which they are engaging and consuming information. Is a yeah. is a gap we gotta raise ourselves up to in order to meet. We can't just wait for them to get it together the way we always did. We gotta rise yeah. to the Yeah. Hey, listen, we got we got a lot of kids that are into shooting games or whatever on the internet, and then that whole ideology kind of manifests into like other things that we're starting to see uh in terms of society. And so as educators, if we're unwilling to harness that energy. And, uh, and and bring it to something that's positive, then we're going to yeah. continue to see uh, these shooting, these mass shootings and like, you well, know, these also, ideations. We also yeah. got to find a way to talk to our parents so that they can understand when something might be wrong or yes. if something is a red flag and to not be embarrassed by that or to not feel like they're going to be blamed by that. I think I told you there was a, um, I took a first, like a mental health first responders class um, and I did it online and it just gave me all of these had um, tools around like how to address what was suicide, what was depression. Yeah. Not that I'm a first, not that I am a mental health provider, but it did yeah. help like just to be able to triage, to assess, to know the differences. I mean, the, the, the training was intense and I immediately thought to myself, every single person, whether you're an educator, a nurse, a custodian, drive a bus. Imagine yeah. how it would be if we all had the ability to be a responder for mental health and wellness and how yes. many important people should be able to have those skills. This isn't just, well, I know he said, let me wait till we get the social worker or the counselor will follow up with him after she finishes this. We're talking about young people's lives and adults' lives. Um, and, and the more people that we can have to, to do that, to know how to intervene and support, I think the better off we'll be. I miss every, peace. Every teacher should be taking them. If I if I had my way, every single teacher I had would be taking mandated reporter, right? Yeah. yeah and yeah. and mental health first aid. We got to do that. Yeah. So mental health first aid. If you if you could drop a link in there, uh, Miss Peace, 
we would appreciate you dropping a link so that we could uh we can get that moving. Um, yeah, man, I, I'm sending so I'm sending up. You know, I know this summer we got uh required courses for our students to. Uh, I'm sorry for our, for our teachers to be uh, CPR certified. Uh, in case anything happens, uh, you know, talk, thinking about the defibrillator and being able to access that. But, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about is that the impact of a school nurse and the school nurse can have on the school community. Right. I've been in some uh, some some places where the school nurse has been amazing. Right. In terms of like building that community for parents um, in order for kids to feel safe. Uh, in order for kids to feel like, hey, I can go to this person or whatever. But I've also been in some environments where, you know, it, it, kids don't feel safe with going to the school nurse, right? Sure. And so um, talk to me about your experiences with school nurses. And... Yeah, so um, we, I'm fortunate. I had an amazing school nurse. A shout out to Miss Fuller. I know if somebody's watching this, they're going to tag her because she likes to shine. Um, and she was wonderful. Uh, not only was she important to building the community at our school, she also was really helpful for building community and helping adults, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and the way yeah. that they had to talk with that nurses are positioned to talk with families about their records, about their shots, about in DC, there's no shots, no schools. So if your health records weren't up to date, you couldn't like register and enroll the right way keeping those documents. Um, she had a lot more conversations in parent, with parents, some that we had difficulty getting in touch with, right? But there were parents who would return the call to the nurse, right? Mm -hmm. There were also mm -hmm. a lot of times when we needed to make sure that the nurse had the best, most accurate information. Child got sick and parents would switch their numbers up. You know, they moved. They might have yeah. have a different situation in October than they had in August when they enrolled. Trust. And so yeah. you got to keep that line of communication open. And so I think, I mean, I was fortunate. She also made amazing cakes, um, loved cooking, and was a big part of the hospitality <laughs> community, right? Like, we got to talk about, hey, after you finish with this nurse, we got to talk about that hospitality committee, man. That thing yeah. can make a break of school, too. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it really, for the most part, it was rarely led by the teachers. It was my nurses. Yeah. It was my coaches. It was my aides, my educational aides. It was like, you know, somebody in the office, the ones who like kept that joy factor going so that teachers could benefit from it and feel a part of it. But I mean, you know, I, I do think we need to, but we got to fund them too, right? Like we didn't have a full-time nurse. There were some days when we had phone coverage, right? So a kid came in and we didn't have a warm body in the building to help respond. And we had to have another nurse come from another school, right? Like I think yeah. we talk about custodians, nurses, office staff, social yeah. workers, guidance counselors, and special teachers, elective yeah. special teachers, all yeah. of them. Now you can have art or PE, or you can have yeah. part-time library and part-time tech. But those yeah. are the things, you're talking about 20 to 25 people, depending on how big or small your school is, that are yeah. extra eyes, extra relationships, extra warm bodies, extra opportunities for kids to feel successful in something that they may not have felt before. So I think those H, are crazy. H, you in your bag right now, baby. You in your <laughs> bag right now. Yo, I, don't, I don't even see, I don't even uh, know if you see. You, I don't even know if you see what's happening. I'll put you in a position to be in your bag right now. Listen, um, just... So, 
Jiggy Reekin is like, uh, what do you what do you do when kids don't have parents around to talk to and they're just roaming around in the streets after school? I think that's we just did a show on this on Sunday about the um, the responsibility, the hands. We just did a show on the col uh, the collective actions of community based organizations. Right. Because I know growing up for me, um, you know, we during the summer, we had vacation Bible school, which was an extension of um, was it was it an extension of Sunday school, which was an extension of the school year. Um, also, um, you know, we had a pretty robust, uh, library program, right? And so, you know, we would walk down to the, I would walk down to the library and to escape, uh, some of the poverty stricken, uh, tendencies that, uh, young people, uh, get attached to. I would escape in books, right? So books were my escape. Um, what else? Uh, sports. Uh, always sports, uh, and then also uh, enrichment camps or whatever, right? And so a lot of times you'll you'll see, uh, you know, folks that are, are doing these camps. But again, that's when that humility comes in, right? If you can't afford that camp, you gotta go and talk to those people. Be like, hey, listen, I can't afford this camp. What can I do? Like, if I could barter this for that in order for my kid to be able to, you know, uh, re receive uh, opportunities in order to go to camp, right? Because, like, even when even when you have it, you ain't got it, right? I'm always like, hey, I'm trying to, hey, listen, I'm trying to get my daughter in this camp. Y'all got any scholarships? And I might probably be, I'm, I'm probably better off than, I'm probably better off than most, but I'm still asking for a scholarship. <laughs> right. And for those who got it, you want, you got it to pay for your kid? Say, I'm going to pay for my kid for four weeks and I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to donate two weeks to somebody who needs it. Yes. Right? I'm yes. going to just $25 yes. a week. Here's the yeah. tuition for mine, and here's 50 extra dollars in case some yeah. other kids can't afford the whole thing, right? Yeah. I think it's yeah. that. It also is us <laughs> making the connection between what happens outside of the school day yeah. and, mm. and, and, and asking for those things, right? We got yeah. too many schools that don't have enough lifeguards, so they don't stay open. We have too yeah. many reps that don't have enough people who need additional support, right? We also have to help young people understand what they need to do and how they can advocate for themselves to find an askable adult. Because yeah. a lot of the kids who are just Roman are not Roman because they don't have nothing to do. For some of them, this is the safest place they can be. Being yeah. outside is safer oh. than being inside. Because we, we're, assume, we're, assuming, we're, assuming, we're assuming that being at home is safe for them, right? We're That's assuming right. that the adults that are at their houses are creating these warm and safe environments for them. When in fact, things could be happening and it could be crying for attention in terms of not being in those spaces, right? That's and so, right. so you know, that's when you got to know. Person, right. So imagine if a young person who's just walking around now has mm. an actable adult and mm. they can see somebody and they know how to engage in a conversation, right? A lot yeah. of adults, I mean, I love us, right? The best of us are great, but some of us can be mean. We see young people and we turn our heads. We ignore them. We don't pay yeah. them any attention. Um, yeah. we, we don't, we aren't the kind of people who would, would want a young person to engage with, right? I see too many adults walking by young people and not saying hello. Let me tell you something. Any young person I see, and I haven't been a principal for three years, any young person I see, grocery store, Walmart, on the corner, good morning. How you doing? Are you okay? Like, yeah. we got to create yeah. young people. Yeah. Facts. Yeah. People hey, hey, but they... Yo, young people. I, I don't think I don't think we talk about this enough as a society. Young people thrive for structure, right? But it's got to be the right kinds of structure, right? They got to know that you care about them. It's got to be kind of like a warm, strict environment to where you have high expectations for them. And once they know that you have high expectations for them, they're gonna work for you, right? right? You know and you're gonna work for them. You they'll work, work for, for you, and then they'll take risks. When they take yes. risks, they'll grow. 
right? right. Nobody's going right. to take risk in an environment that makes them feel unsafe. But if it's safe, they'll, they'll try something else. They don't know that they're good at baseball because they haven't tried it. They don't know mm -hmm. that they can transfer those skills from football to rugby and potentially open up a whole new field of dreams Avenue, and a whole yeah. new of possibilities for them. Absolutely. create spaces for young people to take risks. Yeah. So they grow. Yeah. And we get so, mad, they do the same thing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he also says, uh, you know, to open up the teachers. So how do you know what's going on in their life? So one of the things that I do with my daughter, right, uh, and I'm very intentional about this, is that I ask her questions like, well, who made you feel safe today, right? Um, were there any opportunities uh, or, or were there any instances in which you did not feel safe, right? Because I want to hone in on, like, who and where she felt the safest so that I, I can instill in her that this is the person that you go to when you're feeling unsafe because you've told me that you felt safe around this person. Right? Yeah. And so if a kid is in a school and you're constantly having the same conversation with that kid and that kid doesn't feel like there's anyone in that school that provides them that level of comfort or safety, then it's time as parents, we start thinking about, are these the right schools for our kids? That's right. What's that video that Ted talked by that beautiful, amazing black woman who was a teacher? Rita Pearson. Every kid needs a champion, right? Every and, kid needs a champion. And, and, and a lot of that happens, right? Yeah. So we adults have to be able to understand and listen to young people. And yeah. we got to know how to ask the right questions. And we got to know how to also be vulnerable, right? I think we do that yeah. a, lots of ways, right? If I made a mistake with my kids, I would apologize to them. I'd be like, you know what, Kevin, I thought that you, and you know what, I I, I apologize. I, I shouldn't have done that. I overreacted. When we can, yeah. when we understand who we are and to say, you know what, I was really grouchy today and I was trying to yeah. figure out why and I realized my breakfast was still sitting on the thing. Kevin, can't you imagine, have you ever been grouchy because you were hungry before? Because that's exactly what happened to me, right? Like there yeah. is this ego that we got to like put behind us as teachers, as educators, and frankly, as parents. If, if you think your daughter and son think you have every answer, you're, you're, you're wilding, right? But yeah. if you can create a space where you can be vulnerable and honest with them, be like, you know what, I blew that, didn't I? Man, I'm going to have to try again. All of these are learning. <laughs> yo, that's right? me all the time. Yo, let me tell you. I'm like, yo, damn, I really I did that? I, I blew that. that. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, I said that. I said, and, and did I say it with that tone? Like, damn, I really, damn, I, well, I, apologize. I apologize because, like, I ain't really mean it like that. You know, like, but imagine what that damn. models, right? What that models yeah. for your son as a young black man growing up, yeah. and what that models for your daughter when she thinks yeah. about the kind of partner she wants to have and the kind of people she wants on her team, the kind of people she wants to work with, right? It's, yeah. it's a way for her to model that, that I think yeah. it's, it's a model that, that I think is important. Yeah. Hey, you living a suburban life. I'm watching everything that's happening in your neighborhood. All these people <laughs> walking down, I'm like, what well, the damn, H? <laughs> I see you out in these, in these suburban streets, oh, man. Feeling, feeling all safe and stuff. Oh, like you feel, I, feel, I feel like you can, you can sleep with your door open. I um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Ace man, let's go into closing thoughts, man. We ain't giving these people no whole hour, not tonight, not with everything that's happening in this country. I think a good closing thought. You got that video queued up? Maybe that'll be. Oh, uh, do I have this video queued up? Because that is what my it's life been is. Hard, and we were talking about uh, how difficult things are, and 
that's a good one. And if not, maybe people can just follow it and follow the rest. But I think it was on the Bleacher Report. Can I add it? Uh, okay. Let's see. Um, I, I was talking with, with Shay a couple days ago, and one of the things we talked about was um, how we all wait in, for things to get easier. Think in your own life if you waited for something to get easier. Oh, I just got to get through this, and then it'll be easy. I just got to get through preseason, and then it'll be okay. I've just got to get through my junior year of high school, and then the classes are going to get easier. Or I've just got to get to my spring and my senior year of college, and it's going to be easier. It's what we do. We wait for stuff to get easier. It will never get easier. What happens is you handle hard better. That's what happens. Most people think that it's going to get easier. Life is going to get easier. Basketball is going to get easier. School is going to get easier. It never gets easier. What happens is you become someone that handles hard stuff better. So that's a mental shift that has to occur in each of your brains. It has to. Because if you go around waiting for stuff to get easier in life, it's never going to happen. And then what happens? Oh, it's so hard. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, this, I don't know. When, when is it going to be easy for me? Oh, it's easy for other people. It's not. It's hard. And the second we see you handling stuff, handling hard better, what are we going to do? We're going to make it hard. We're going to make it harder. Because we're preparing for you for when you leave here. Not just basketball and life. And if you think life, when you leave college, is going to be all of a sudden get easy because you graduated and you got a new degree, it's not going to get easier. Uh, let me, let me, let me. Well, what I'll say, though, is I would often think about that as a teacher. And I would often have, like, you know, a difficult class or young people who needed more than others and 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 my administrator would say, well, you know what, you're so good with them or you're so good with this kind of situation. And often what he would know is that the reward for good is more, right? The better you are at something, the more the demand is for you. And so I think her point about, we, especially since we're talking about it being summer, right? I believe in rest. I believe that rest is essential to resistance. I believe the only way we're going to get free is by resistance. I believe that. But I also believe that there is a shift, right? There are, we got to, honoring how better we are at handling hard things can help us get the confidence and shift the power back to us. So many of us think that the world is just happening to us and we do not acknowledge the, the, the ways we have stepped up to handle an existing world. And so I love that, you know, her point about how it never gets easier, we just handle hard better. Well, here's what I'm going to say about handling hard better and 100% the opposite because you know how much shit you could do with a Duke degree? She capping. Let me tell you something. Yo, on an open market with a degree from Duke? What the fuck you mean? All right, I'm getting over here. I'm getting over here. We'll see. Bye. You're going to have a lot of debt. 